out effort and uh, hard work. And uh, my wife and I, with our kids, moved there. The church had been shut down for a couple of years, and we just pulled in and decided we were going to get started. And uh, we have pastored the community, and I always believed, and it's sort of a motto of my life working in rural communities, that wherever there's pain, there should be a pastor. We began to minister and just loving the community, and slowly but surely the church is filling up, and we are seeing people get saved and baptized in water. And Jesus taught us to go and preach the good news and uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's working. We, uh, one of the, that little blonde kid that was, he was moving away to Indiana, and uh, he was going to, he, he got saved at, at a youth event that we had, and uh, he said um, he wanted to get water baptized at the church. And we had that cattle trough there, we still use it, and uh, uh, we always do our baptism services on a Sunday morning. It just draws people out and sort of breaks up their week. And this little guy, uh, he was moving away before we could get to a Sunday morning. So we said, well, we'll do it on a Thursday night. It was sort of a last minute thing. And uh, this little kid had made a decision for the Lord that God had really done a, a deep work in his heart. Simple, ordinary thing, those prayers at VBS. Anyways, God so orchestrated it that this little kid would tell everybody in his class to come to uh, Sunday or to Thursday night to his baptism service. And uh, that little guy went and filled the church with his school teachers and with friends and family members that came who don't normally attend church anywhere. And he filled that room and this little guy went and shared his testimony, unscripted by me, and shared what God was doing in his life. And he said, in the last and the simple little testimony, he said, I pray that you'd receive Jesus as your Savior so that you could one day be with me in heaven. And there wasn't a dry eye in that building. And I prayed about it later, and I said, Lord, what, what was so great about this little guy's service? And he said, because when you welcome one of these, Jesus said to me, when you welcome one of these little ones, you welcome me. And his presence was so strong. And non-churched people are dying to experience the presence of God that maybe we take for granted just a little bit. And uh, we need to introduce the presence of God to people. And this morning, I want to share with you a couple stories of what God is doing. And I want to talk a bit about a lost sheep, three lost donkeys, and uh, a cow. (laughs) When I was about 14 years of age, my dad told me to go and check the cows. We had about 100 head cow-calf operation. And there was one cow that was uh, sick. And he had asked me to go and take care of the, take a look at the herd, check the fences, and make sure that this one cow was okay. And he had asked me to, if this cow needed a needle, to go and give it an injection. So sure enough, I jumped in our 47 Fargo truck, and I drove over the road and went into the pasture, checked out all the cows, and I was looking out for old Bossy with the crumpled horn, and sure enough, I found her in the willows, and she was heaving there, and she didn't look too well, and she was on her last legs, literally, bones and everything like that. So I thought, oh, well, I, I like being, I'm 13, 14 years old. I want to be a vet. So uh, I, I, I like the, I didn't become a vet, but I just thought it would be cool. So I took this great big old needle and I walked up to old Bossy and I scratched her ears and got her nice and calm and everything like that. And then I just, wham, right into the side of her leg. And she took off. She obviously still had some life left. And she took off across the field I did it again, and this time she ran away with the needle still hanging in the side of her, and it fell out. And I kept chasing her, and it was hot, and 
I'm getting tired, and I'm trying to give this thing. Every time I pulled this needle up, it was still full of penicillin. So I ran after her again. Finally, I chased her, and she ran into the river that was right beside the pasture. And she was sitting up to her chin in muck and slime and seaweeds and everything like this. And now I finally said, I've got you. So I jumped into the river, and I tried to get her again, but I missed it completely. And she ran out of the river, and she ran down. By this time, she was mad. She was slobbering. Eyes were bulging, and mine were too. And I went running after her. And I was going to get rid of I was going to get this cow no matter what. And uh, at that time, our friend had a little small airplane, our neighbor, and he came flying down really low over the, uh, the pasture, and he dipped his wings to me, and I'm running and waving and then I realized it, and this is the part of the story that I didn't tell you, that before I went into the river, after this cow, I had stripped off my clothes and I was in my underwear. And when, when, I, when I ran out after this cow, I was running after this cow in my underwear, and that's when my neighbor came up and showed up. So with that picture in your mind, we're going to carry on with this morning's message, but I think we need to pray. God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would... Reveal to us the joy that there is in evangelism and telling people about Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for all the missionaries that are going out in the world and they're doing VBS with little kids in Africa. But Father, I'm also thankful that you've got your people immobilized, mobilized in southwest, southwestern Manitoba and we're seeing people come to know Jesus. Thank you for the great work. Father, you get the glory and the honor and the praise. So uh, I want to talk about a bit about a, a working man's evangelism. Matthew 18, verses 12 says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? As believers who are following Jesus Christ, are we thinking about those who are straying, the wounded, the injured, very simply, are we thinking about who could sit in the pew beside you in church? Wouldn't it be exciting? Wouldn't it be cool if we could take responsibility for the empty seat beside you and prayed, Jesus, help me fill this empty seat? As followers, uh, are we thinking about those who are struggling? As believers, are we thinking about those who need to come in contact, not with the religion of Christianity, not the philosophy, not the ideas, not the symbols, not a place to go, not even the fellowship, but the person of Jesus Christ, the living God. I believe that we as a church need to reorient ourselves, not to just some idea of religion, but the reality of knowing Jesus personally the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus describes the Pharisees' attitude towards the hurting, and he describes a comparison, and he shows a comparison that shows the difference between the priority of man versus the priority of heaven. And basically, he says, any one of you farmers care more about your herd and your profits than you do about people. And we can all identify with Pharisees. We want to, one more field, Let's get a bigger field. Incidentally, there's a farm going near Hamiota that's running about $3,000 an acre. The price of land has just shot up all around us. One more swath when we see the storm clouds coming down from the west. Ladies, uh, one, more, one more store to shop. Or us guys, one more, one, just one more catch, one more, one more cast into the lake. 
And sometimes we get so caught up with the things of the world and pursuing the things of the world that we forget about the work of God and the ministry that God has for us. Matthew 18, verse 4, it says, Even so, if it's not the, it's not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And Jesus is challenging us this morning to be more concerned about souls and rescuing the perishing than we are about our own lives. Jesus said to the Pharisees, in essence, you care about your herd more than people. Now, I just realized that that's the wrong herd. (laughs) How many people picked that up? There's a typo on the slide thing. I've preached this message twice today, and I finally got it. Now, the (laughs) herd, H-E-R-D, I do know the difference. Whatever. Care about your herd. That's for the hearing impaired. No. I'm so embarrassed. The church has a zeal for the world to have heavenly things. But the world only has a zeal for worldly things. In Christ, we have the answer. But the world is asking the wrong question. And I want to explain it. The church knows the world needs Christ. They need, we, the church knows that people need the baptism in the Holy Spirit so that they can pray in the Spirit and experience a joy that overcomes them and fills them to compa- uh, with compassion. And the depression has to leave when they, when they pray in the Spirit. And God, and we're zealous for people to experience that, but the people of the world, at least the ones that I contact, couldn't care less about the message of the church. And what God is calling the church to do is to enter into their world so that we can position ourselves so that we can have a relationship with them and explain to them the heavenly things that God desires for them in their life. You see, they're concerned about earthly things. They're concerned about how I can get my kid off of drugs, how I can get off of drugs, how can I get ahead financially, how can I make my marriage work. They're worried about worldly things. And the church wants to bring heavenly things to them. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 9. It's in your Bible. (laughs) And it's the familiar story of Samuel anointing Saul. Now, let's just, I want to go through a passage of this scripture and watch how Samuel uses skill to enter into the world of Saul And instead of just dumping on him all of the heavenly things that we think the world needs, just introducing him through a relationship. Now, verse 3 says this. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And then they passed through the land of Shalim, where they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they could not find them. They were concerned for earthly things. And then in verse 6, Saul says, let's get a little religion. Maybe the pastor can help. And he said to them, look now, there is in this city a man of God who is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that he should go. Verse 11, we come across three university student girls, and it says, as they went up to the hill city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered them and said, yes, there is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to his city, because there is sacrifice. there is a sacrifice of the people today 
on the high place. And these young girls point them in the direction of God. They point them in the direction of the church. And this is where I see that we could be so effective because maybe we're not going to lead people to Christ right then and there. But maybe we will invite them to church on Sunday morning. Maybe we will point them in the direction of where God is doing a great thing. Maybe we will point them to Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, Samuel gets a prophetic word. And it says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Verses 15 and 16, there's a prophetic word, and the Lord leads Samuel to the right person. There is this personal, intimate contact that Samuel has with God. And for the believer, that comes from discipline. That comes from rising in the morning. It's, not, it's got nothing to do with our, our salvation. It's got nothing to do with our acceptance of God. He loves us whether we do our devotions or not. But when we develop the disciplines of waiting on the Lord's presence and studying His Word and hearing His voice, He gives us an ear to hear. And when it comes to church planting and replanting, Folks, I'll tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm not following a plan. I'm not following a strategy that worked in Southern California. I'm following what the Lord leads me to do. And you saw the helicopter in one of the slides, and God put that on my heart for our Welcome Back Sunday. And we had the whole town come out to that. And I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was. I thought it was too big. A helicopter in the middle of town? It wasn't until... I was trying to get the snowbirds to come to Hamiota (laughs) that I realized how many rules we broke (laughs) getting that helicopter landing. But it's easier to ask for forgiveness than, than, I don't know, doing it right. No, that's not the wrong way to say it. (laughs) But Samuel was disciplined to hear from God. And church planting has been a blast. It's been exciting. It's been a lot of work. But Samuel heard from God and he God whispered in his ear and then in verse 19 Samuel positions himself into Saul's life through service and meets Saul's felt needs verse 19 says this Samuel answered Saul and said I am the seer go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart And he begins to build a relationship with him. He invites him in and he begins to share it with him. And in verse 24, he says this. So the cook took up the the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. Maybe there was a needle injection hole in it. I don't know. There wasn't. And Samuel said, because if it was penicillin, you couldn't eat that animal for I don't know how many days. But anyways... Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart from you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And what gets me excited by what God is doing is that he sees the plans for his people before they're saved. And if there's anything that can get us motivated to tell people about Jesus Christ is the incredible call call of God upon people who don't know Jesus Christ yet. Because 
They have a call of God. I'm not big into destiny. I think destiny is kind of a Star Wars thing. I don't think we're living out our destiny. You know, uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker and all those guys, they got it all wrong. They're talking about a destiny, and if they make a mistake, you know, they got to... No! God's got something greater for His church. It's the call of God. It's the call of God wherever we're at. And whether I'm a pastor in a, in a small church in, in, or in a big church in a small town. Hallelujah. A big church in a small town. Or wherever you're working, whether it's on the field or in your business, whatever it is, that's the call of God for your life. And you can fulfill an exciting life with God, winning people to Christ wherever He places you. It is beautiful. It is exciting. It is wonderful. Who knows? Maybe God wants you to plant a church. Because he's burdened your heart. And it's part of the call of God upon your life. Not your destiny. It's the call of God that he has for you. And church, it's a good plan. And if God's given you the vision, he'll give you the provision. I know it's a cliche, but it always works. God is there for us. And there is a blessing in heaven with heavenly things that are waiting for people to come to know Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He's looking for people. He's looking for lost sheep. First Peter 2 and 25 says this, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. He's taking care of our lost sheep. His passion is for the lost sheep. And I tell you, the song in heaven is joyful when one of these people come to know Jesus Christ. All of us are connected with, with, with people who don't know Jesus. Moms and dads, some of us have kids who are maybe not living for the Lord the way we want them to. God is concerned about them. He's looking after them. He is caring for them. He desires for all the stray sheep to be found and to be brought back into the fold. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I tell you, there's no hurting country songs in heaven. And there might be songs sung a little country, but there's not no hurting country songs in heaven. Amen? And the Holy Spirit wants to give you a song, a prophetic song to sing over your lost loved ones and your friends and family who need to come to know Jesus Christ. Because transformation begins with that prophetic song. Luke 15 verse 7 says, I say to you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And coming to Christ and living close to the cross causes all of heaven to rejoice. And in the whole area of evangelism and coming to know Christ, there's confession. This is just review for you, but there is a, a place where we call it wrong and name it. It's pretty simple. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my Savior. I've gone my own way. I've been drinking for 30 years. I've had a hard life. It's wrong. Finally, it's wrong. I'm coming to Christ. And then there's contrition. It involves our emotions and, and our expression. And it does change us. And then the transformation where the Holy Spirit comes and brings new desires that translate into new life. Isn't that a good plan that Jesus has? I don't know what Hare Krishna or some of those other religions that are out there, but the more I investigate Jesus and his plan for mankind, it is the best plan. 
It is so wonderful that all I have to do is fall down on my knees, my knees and receive his grace. And he fills me with his Holy Spirit, that invisible presence. And I'm able to live for him. And he's able to change my life. And I get new desires and a new life. And I can face tomorrow because he lives. Amen? And I can live and experience resurrection power. It's the power of God. It's the presence of God. Hallelujah. It does get better second time around. (laughs) But there is no one like him. There is no one like him. And I want to share just a couple of stories about uh, Hamiota and uh, some of the people that I've, that I've come in contact with. And I remember Scott who got saved at one minute past midnight on New Year's Eve this year at our New Year's uh, Eve service. Obviously, it wouldn't be the... Anyway, Scott got saved. He was the kind of... He was, the, he was an adult in town. I guess I was sharing the Lord maybe a little too forcefully or whatever it was. But uh, I've got this reputation in town that I'm the preacher. And I, you know, and guys even in the coffee shop say, hey, we missed you, preacher, you know. We're, we're all falling away. And they bug me, and I bug them back, and they find out that I'm actually a fairly normal guy and uh, can uh, enjoy. But, but the things of God are serious. Well, Scott had sort of picked up on this reputation, and he ran from me. I remember wanting to connect with him, and I was running closer to him, and he took off in the opposite direction. Anyways, I ended up leading one of his friends to the Lord, and his friend says, we've got nothing else to do. Let's go to the evening service. And he came to the evening service, and I said, you know, this would be the greatest thing is if somebody would come to know Jesus Christ tonight. And that night, Scott came and got saved and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he got water baptized, and God was working on him. And he's, you know, and and, and the word is out that the, the church is working with the incurables. My... Middle son, Joel, youngest son, Joel, was talking with the school teachers and he came up with uh, one of these guys who had given their lives to the Lord and he gave a bad report, the school teacher did. You know, this young man comes up to my son and says, how you doing, buddy? And we got this relationship with this guy who got saved and God is changing him and I don't want to share his name because whatever, it's a small town and we all know how that goes. But he met him in school and he says to my Son, how you doing? And they're laughing and kibitzing going on and everything like that. And there's a smile on this guy's face. And the school teacher says to Joel, well, you know, when that guy gets connected with the booze, he's not too, it's not too good. You know, it's a pretty bad situation there. And my son looks at that school teacher and says, that's what the church is for, to cure the incurables. We bring the gospel and God is changing their lives. And the gospel is being preached in school. Uh, another story, uh, young lady uh, or a young, young guy gets uh, saved in our youth group and uh, gets, um, gets saved, gets excited about it. I was coaching basketball last year, and this little guy's in grade 7, and uh, we finished the practice or the game or whatever it was, and this young lad, uh, is, is, uh, he's, in the, in the, he's done the game, and I see his mom at the end of the gym, and she looks at me, and I get the mom stare. I don't know if any of you who are involved in youth ministry, you get the mom stare and it's kind of like, uh-oh, you don't know what's going to go on. So finally I went up to this mom and I said, okay, I'm going to brave the storm here. And I talked to her and making small talk and everything. And I'm saying, uh, so uh, your kid made a pretty big decision yesterday. And she looks at me and she says, I know. He told me all about it. And I thought, oh man, now she's going to nail me with you. Well, you're proselytizing my kid and I don't want any of that religion and everything like that. And I thought, here we go. And I said, well, yeah, it was an important decision he made. And she said, I know. He's told me all about it at supper time. 
And then there was a moment of silence and then she looked at me and she said, I was wondering if you'd want to baptize my whole family. And you see, God has used kids, he's used children and adults have gotten saved. And I know in our slide presentation, there's a lot of uh, pictures of kids. We've mobilized our youth ministry to get involved with the with the families and God is reaching them and working in their hearts. And uh, there's a connection to parents. There's a connection from parents to kids. And, and God is doing this in Hamiota. And we're seeing the church grow through conversion. Isn't that an awesome idea? <laughs> I thought I'd throw that out. Anyways, three kinds of evangelism. Proclamational, confrontational, and relational. We get in the church the privilege to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to tell people about Jesus It's biblical. It's the Billy Graham crusade. Only a few people can do that. Confrontational. I've got the gift of evangelism with a pastoral gifting. I'm pretty good at confrontation and still maintaining the relationship. God uses me in that gift, but not everybody. But all of us have a relationship that we could begin telling people about Jesus and sharing with them the good news and inviting them to church. Church, if you're not brave enough or you don't have it all together in regards to telling people the whole plan of salvation, just bring them to church. Let them start worshiping Jesus. Let them start getting excited about the presence of God in church. And it, baby, it is strong in this church. It is good. It is good. The presence of God uh, stirs people's hearts. And they begin to inquire. We can invite them to church. And as we grow... We could become involved in God's 100 sheep search party. The 100th sheep church search party. So the shepherd leaves 99 alone safely, tucked away in the fold in order to go after the lost one. He actually makes one, the 100th sheep, the focus of his care and attention. God's heartbeat is for the lost. He loves them to the point of having given their very best for them, his son. And his eyes are constantly searching for the lost. And that includes southwestern rural Manitoba. Ed Silvoso in That None Should Perish says this, When Christians begin to pray for the felt needs of the lost, God surprises them with almost immediate answers to prayer. In fact, prayer for the needs of that 100th sheep is the spiritual equivalent of dialing 911. Well, I want to conclude with this. What is God doing that you don't know about? We think a lot about the work that the Lord does that we know about. I prayed, person got healed. We know that God is at work. But what about beyond our own answers to prayer? What about the side of prayer where Jesus does more than we can ask or think or comprehend? When the lost sheep is more of a concern to Jesus than the 99 already in the fold. And we need to understand that God is at work on everyone all the time. That's why I can pray for a farmer on his field. That's why I can visit. That's why because God is already at work in their lives. And you can do the same too and believe that God is at work with those co-workers that you're working with. He's working on their hearts. He loves them. He's got a plan. He's got a call for their lives. Prevenient grace means just this. All we have to do is make the connections. 
Who will go for them? Jesus said this. Matthew 28, 19 says in the message translation, undeterred, went right ahead and gave this charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. And I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of age. I was coaching soccer. I was involved in a soccer game when my oldest son was five years old. And I want to conclude with this. And then we're going to conclude with prayer for all of us here who have friends that are on our hearts, that are know that you know that they're strained. And I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment just that we'll pray for them and agree together that God is going to win them and is going to use you to win them to Christ. But I was coaching basketball or coaching soccer uh, one day a long time ago when my son was, oldest son was about five years of age. And uh, we were playing, and these little guys are about five years old. They've got the shorts that are way too big and the uniforms that are way too big, but they're out there playing, playing ball and uh, kicking the soccer ball. And this one day, I wasn't the coach, but the coach was missing, and the parents had asked me if I would coach the game. And I said, fine, that's great. And then there was this little boy named Rafe who was sitting and playing soccer, but he wasn't playing. And all of us who are familiar with youth sports know that there's usually a kid out there like Rafe because he was not into the game. Now, Rafe was sitting there in the middle of the field kicking up the grass, and the ball would go by him, and all the other kids would go by him. And uh, he would sit back there, and then he was looking around, and he was lying down, you know, looking at the grass and picking the dandelions. And mom's on the sideline going, kid he's not playing ball and all the parents are getting angry why does your kid play ball and he's sitting on his back going oh a squirrel and i'm going rafe play the game oh ball goes by so i said finally i had it you know and i kind of broke the rules a bit but i ran out into the field and I grabbed Rafe by the hand in the middle of the game. And I said, Rafe, do you want to play soccer? And he says, yeah. I said, well, let's go and play. And I grabbed him by the hand and I ran, to the, ran with him to where the ball was. And I took him again. And by the third or fourth time, he was going, help me, save me. And I dragged him to where the ball was. And I pushed all these little kids. I was tough. You know, I was working with five-year-olds. I could push them all away. And I said, Rafe, kick the ball. And I made sure that everybody else stood away and they're watching Rafe. Even the other team, they're looking at Rafe. And he comes up and he kicks the ball. He's got this big smile on his face. And mom's got tears in her eyes because this little kid's playing soccer. And the next thing you know, I'm running up and down the field and these little girls grab his hands and they're running and they're playing soccer and they're kicking the ball and they're all in the game in church. We've read the rule book. We've studied the plays. We've heard the coach call us. It's time to play ball. Jesus is waiting for each of us to grab a hold of his hand and lead us and give us everything that we need, the places to go, the people to invite, the words to say, the wisdom we need to reach that mission field that may be just across the street. He desires to meet with you personally because he's concerned for that lost person. And I'm saying to you, church, can we just get in the game? Let's stand. If you have somebody in your life that you know needs Jesus, can we pray? Can we agree where two or three are gathered in my name? There I am with you.
Father, in Jesus' name, my heart burns with passion for the lost. But Father, I discovered that the strategy for reaching people is really not that complicated. And Father, with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and covering us and meeting us and drawing us and leading us, Father, I am not surprised that you bring our paths across some very difficult people. And yet you still give us wisdom on how to work with difficult office environments or relationships. And we're to be Christ in the midst of this. And Lord, you take us out of our comfort zone into these difficult areas. And I pray for everybody standing here today, Lord, that you would open up our spiritual eyes so that we would know Jesus better, like Ephesians says, and that we would know that Jesus' heart is for the lost as well as for his church. And Lord, teach us to be able to understand the heavenly things, the baptism and the Holy Spirit and the miracles and the, and the work of God, the deep work of God in the lives of people. God, you desired for those that are out there. So teach us, Father, to position ourselves into their lives in such a way that we can begin speaking the kingdom of heaven to them. Lord, there's an incredible call for us and even for those who haven't come to faith yet. And today as a church, we agree in Jesus' name. God, build your church through us. I don't want to be in the sidelines, Father. I want to be running up and down your field, your mission field. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pastor Gary.